Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. We're back. Uh, it's been a long month with camp going on. It was kind of a, a freeze moment because we were, I was now at Georgia Tech, I think 14 of 17 days or something to start the 14 of, yeah, 17 days, I think it was, of, to start the month. Um, covering Georgia Tech football camp, I'm Kelly Quillen. Join me is uh, Russell Johnson, our recruiting czar. And, um, it's uh it's been kind of an interesting fall camp and high school football season's already started uh there are actually games this saturday um not ones that really many people care about i guess the highlight game is illinois and nebraska which is i think has nebraska as a seven point favorite at home which is maybe the the dumbest betting like you have to be a real degenerate to gamble on Illinois, Nebraska, with as bad as Nebraska has been in Illinois with a first year coach taking over a program that's been a train wreck. So, you know, more power to you. If you just need like some money to make you engage watching a game, I guess that's, that's what that's for. But holy smokes, that's, uh, that's like lighting your money on fire, putting it on that. But eh, a digression aside, um, been a really active fall camp for Georgia Tech. Uh, Coach Collins is gracious enough to reopen practice for us uh, for the first time since March of 2020. So I was there pretty much every day watching practice, uh, except for a handful of closed days they had. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting, Russell. Um, I will say that uh, practice has been a lot different than it was in year one and year two with Jeff Collins. Um, and obviously we didn't see the spring or fall last year so. We didn't see much. We saw a little bit in spring of 2021 um, when they were in the stadium practicing, but uh, you know, the, it's just a different energy now. It's a di- real focused kind of thing. And uh, coach Collins is channeling his inner, uh, I don't know if you call it Georgia Larry, Paul Johnson intensity. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, being a lot more, um, demonstrative and is what he's demanding of his players and stuff it's it's very interesting to watch is like uh having seen kind of the slow build-up i think he feels like maybe the culture is where it needs to be and they have the bodies they need to have and now it's time to win as he you know their win 21 motto um so to me that's been really the most fascinating part of all of this for me is just watching um kind of a different a whole different um energy there it's it's sort of like a quiet intensity which is sort of what i like to see at a practice um and it's easier to follow if you're watching practice because they're not doing the three huddles at a time and they're not but they're also not in a teaching phase right now either so that makes sense because this is very much about getting ready to play northern illinois and kennesaw and clemson and north carolina so it's been really weird. I, you know, as you're an outside observer to all of this, is there anything that you're kind of curious about um, that you've, that you've been wondering that we haven't talked about, or maybe things that I've shared with you privately that you think would be interesting to the audience? Um, I would definitely uh, say the, uh, just the, the rotation of the offensive line. I know a lot of people had asked questions about you know, Jordan Williams future I'm um, not not with the program necessarily. He's not going to leave, but just you know where he fits into the the puzzle that is you know Brent Key's offensive line, and if he still is going to be you know one of those best five come you know, NIU week. 
you know, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jordan. Um, he's a guy that has a tremendous amount of talent. They think, you know, Pat Node said it the other day. He thinks they think he's an NFL guy. Brent Key thinks that. Um, but they want to win. So, like, if if it's KJ Kirby or Nick Penley or Jordan Williams, whoever gives them that best opportunity is going to be the guy they march out in game one. And it could very well be Jordan Williams. It could be KJ Kirby. It could be Nick Penley. You know, um, you know, ultimately availability is a big piece of this and then be as as in being healthy and then also just your performance leading up to the to the first game and and Brett Key's trying to find that right five and then the next sort of four guys, I think, is kind of what he's shooting for right now. And I think they sort of have most of that. I would say that, um, you know, I gave sort of my prediction on kind of where I saw things at. Um, just in my own opinion, uh, going into the season, but, um, that's a really interesting question. And I, I think to me, I think Jordan Williams is an offensive tackle. I think you need to keep him there. I think the idea of playing him at guard was to build depth, but ultimately if Kenny Cooper's playing well, you can keep him there. You have guys they like at guard of, you know, kind of coming up that are younger, um, and then some guys have been around like Austin Smith or Mike May. There's some options there and you can always slide him back in. Nick Penley can play guard as well. So they give a few options there. The one thing that's nice about having KJ Kirby, who they added, is if something, you know, knock on wood happens to Devin Cochran, you have a guy who can play left tackle at a high level and has done that a lot. So he gives you a lot of depth options. And yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if if KJ wins the job and I wouldn't be shocked if Jordan Williams wins the job. And I'd be a little bit shocked if Nick Penley got the job, but um, just he doesn't have the the game experience that either one, either Jordan or um, or KJ have at this point, just the career snaps he played, you know, sparingly at Mississippi State. So I think it's a little bit harder road for him. And uh, I think he had some injuries in the spring, if I recall correctly, that um, maybe slowed him down a little bit too. So you know, that'll be an interesting piece of all of this and, and how steady is that top five, right? Because, you know, is Weston Franklin a guy who's going to be ready to push Mikey Minahan for playing time? Does that happen? Does, you know, I feel like Ryan Johnson and Cochran are sort of the two locked in guys, but I think the rest of it's sort of a little bit fluid um, and performance based and, you know, they want to win. So I think there's going to be, if you're, you know, snapping the ball poorly, missing your reads, missing, getting holding or jumping, you know, getting, jumping off sides or whatever it is, you know, Brent Key, Jeff Collins, Kerry Dixon, all those guys on offense are like, it's going to be a quick hook, right? Um, the days of letting guys stay on the field after a penalty are, are gone pretty much. So, you know, that's the thing too. Like when you go back and look at the losses the last few years, so many of them were self-inflicted wounds you know, penalties, um, penalties on third down on offense or defense, you know, putting them behind the sticks or moving the sticks ahead for the defense. Um, you know, the bad kicking, like they've sort of tried to address each, each one of those things. So I think if you can get away from screwing yourself up and, and, you know, playing a quality, clean football that puts you ahead of the game going into the first game to, to me anyways. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, you pretty much nailed that. I was, uh, I was, I was thinking with Kirby and, you know, the experience and being able to have a, an actual rotation of players you can 
can count on. That's something that I don't think he has really had since getting to Georgia Tech, and that's something that he's, I would think, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, I haven't I've spoken to him, you know, since camp and everything. Um, but that's something that I'm sure he's pretty excited about. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I mean, I think at the most he probably got to seven guys the first two years that he was comfortable mm-hmm. playing. Yeah. I think right now um, there's probably nine that he would be cool throwing in a game. I think there could grow to 10 or 11, um, th- you know, but again, it's all performance-based too, right? And right. You know, was, I mean, look at a guy like Will Lay, right? Will Lay played a ton and, you know, I don't <laughs> – I'd be curious to see if how much he sees the field this year. Like he's played a ton over the last two years for them, but um, really just cause he could get the ball snapped and get the plays read and yeah, get everyone lined up. And that was enough to get you on the field. I, I think those days are sort of gone and, and Will's um, yeah, had to cross train and, and kind of figure out his role too, you know, going forward, but that kind of shows you how much it's evolved. A guy that had been a key rotation guy might not be a key rotation guy this year for them. So, yeah, you know, they've gone a long way. Jakai left, which is a guy that um, I'm, I'm super curious to see if he, what kind of burn he gets um, sort of the mm-hmm. long-term left tackle guy. Yeah. And, and they have those sort of bookends, right? You have Jakai and you have Jordan Williams and then wings sort of the third tackle. He can play either side. I feel like that's a pretty good position to be in right now uh, for Brent Key kind of looking at the longer picture, bigger picture of the offensive line. So I, <clears throat> in terms of that front, I think they're in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. I know, um, so, you know, everybody knows obviously that you know, Blackburn's out for the year at receiver. Um, what, what did you see, you know, these past several, several days you were on campus uh, what, what have you seen at, at that position in terms of, uh, you know, being able to get more more separation off the ball, off the snap, and, and things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, I think the guys that are the most interesting are, are the slot guys, which is, you know, a tough position to be in. You have guys like Adonica Sanders. Adonica Sanders can use his body and get catches. Like, he's not going to beat someone down the field that often, but <clears> – <throat> He's capable of, of making plays and, and being a weapon in the offense. I think that, um, you know, it's going to be the Ky- probably be the Kyrick McGowan's, Nate McCollum, and, and Malik Rutherford, and maybe even Jamal Haynes, the guys with the elite speed that they're going to have to take the top off the defense and open things up to keep things open for Gibbs and Mason and, and Griffin and Smith in the backfield. I think that's – that's what they're going to have to do. I don't know that Malachi Carter or Ryan King or any of those guys are kind of ready to be there. Malachi shows the flashes of it. I just, I want to see it in games. Like dude's always practiced really well from what I've seen. I just want to see him perform in the games and, and make the routine catch too. Not just the spectacular. Right. Right. No, I can, I can definitely understand that. No, you know, in the past, uh, you know, the first two years of Collins' tenure, it seemed like, you know, the the single digits were a, a big deal. And, you know, since we're, we're talking about wide receiver, and I can't help but see all the, the, the posts and the, I wouldn't really call it hype, but just the, the notoriety and the, uh, the interest people seem to be having in uh, Kalani Norris. Uh, what, what have you thought of, what did you think of him in the past you know, few weeks? Kalani's an interesting guy because he can play inside or outside. So 
he gives you a, a lot of flexibility. I think he can line up anywhere, any of the receiver spots. Has good speed. He, he's a guy who can make big plays. Uh, he struggled mental on the mental side of the game, I think, early in his career, just finishing catches and stuff. That's something Kerry Dixon talked about. Apparently, he's cleaned that up and, and has been a lot more consistent with that. And, yeah, he's a guy – they're kind of trying to find, I think, someone to work, you know, in that with Malachi Carter and, and Adonicus to find whoever that next third outside guy is. Um, there's a lot of different options you have, you know, Ezard, who is a guy who's yet to kind of put it all together. Um, Ryan King, who has a lot of potentials, is just really young. Avery Boyd, who can – has the physical tools, but, again, is a guy um, – who's got to refine his game. He's very much a guy like if he gets, if he beats his man and gets a clean release, like he's going to beat you over the top, but you know, he has to have that happen. And that's where it gets interesting. Cause like everyone clamors for Avery Boyd. Right. And I think there that's an interesting thing because he's, he needs more in his toolbox ultimately to be like an every down guy. And I think that's kind of what Kerry Dixon talked about last week that he he can make spectacular catches he can do some good things but he doesn't know how to use his body yet and i mean he's going to be a weapon if he figures that piece of it out right like the dude's tall he can run and he has good hands um just got to put all that together so kalani's also sort of in that mix there and then um you know i think james blackstrain's a little bit further back in the pack i think he's a guy He's what uh, eighteen months off of the knee now, or whatever, something like that. Um, something around there, yeah. You know, really, two years is about when you start to see people really start to fully come back. Um, you know, he was cleared, I guess, a year ago to play high school football. So, yeah, I would say you know this time next year is I feel like when you might start talking about James Blackstrain a little bit more um, after he gets that time with Coach Lou and Coach Horton and can kind of work on his speed and, and refine his game a little bit more. He just is not the, like Malik Rutherford has just kind of a freaky guy. He's just short, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Jamal, Jamal Haynes is a freaky guy. He's just short. Um, you know, they don't, I don't, you know, there's Leo was a freaky guy and he was not short and that's what made him special. And which sort of sucks about losing him. Cause um he was turning heads a, a couple of days he was out there and, and even in from talking to guys who were in the summer workouts and talking to sources and stuff, he was turning heads all summer um, when they were just even doing team stuff and kids were excited about him before even camp started guys were talking about him, right? Like even at like ACC kickoff guys were talking about Leo Blackburn and, and when you saw him, he's like really impressive looking. Um, so, you know, hopefully he bounces back from this. I think he seems to have like a really great attitude about it from seeing social media. He's been around the team some. Um, it looked like he had a surgery. So hopefully that went well and uh, he's on the mend. And, you know, hopefully in this time next year, he'll be raring to go. Cause I mean, if he had the surgery now, then that puts him in the timetable to where he should be cleared when they start camp next year. So, um, yep, that's true. It, you know, the timing of it, while it sucks, is better than if it had happened, like, right now. Um, and then he would be into the season probably getting surgery because ultimately when you do, like, an ACL or something like that, they there's a time period. You don't just have surgery the next day. You have to let swelling go down and do all this other stuff 
to get ready for the surgery. So it's not an immediate repair. It typically takes a week or two, um, which seemed to be the case with his. So, you know, um, you know, hopefully Leo bounces right back from it. I think he's a kid that can do that. And they're really excited about him in the future, but it sucks losing a weapon like that. Cause I think <clears throat> that's also something, you know, like he's a guy that would help in the red zone, right. With that size and, and when you need to move the sticks on third down. So um, it's a blow to Jeff Sims um, and the offense, but you still got for the, the best four running backs of any room in the country right now, in my opinion, probably, um, you know, I don't know what Bama has. I'm not following some of those places, but Bama might, yeah. Bama might, <clears throat> well, I, I'll in the ACC, at least I would say they have the best running back room. So um, even the walk-ons are, Walk-ons might be better than running backs at one or two schools <laughs> that I've seen over the last two years, but uh, you know, it, it, they're in a good spot. I think the offense is going to um, be better and the defense has to be better. I mean, the, the bar set pretty low uh, with how bad last year was. And and if the offense plays better, I think the defense will be inspired to play better. And I think that's something I've noticed throughout my time covering college football. I think teams that, um, can score points the defense tends to be able to respond enough to help them even if it's not great i think the pieces are starting to fall into place a little bit for for coach collins uh, uh defensively so there's a lot of pressure on that side of the ball as well to, to be better because i think it's it's been a little bit of a disappointment and i don't know that it's all on them i think the covid la- year last year really messed them up but you know they were bad last year, and and there's not no reason they should be that bad. Yeah, I think uh, again you kind of you, you hit the nail on the head. That makes a ton of sense. And you know the the COVID year, um, you know I've seen it. We saw it last year, and then you know, right now it's it's you know I wouldn't call it COVID, COVID season 2.0, especially the way that the the conferences are handling the situation in terms of, you know, forfeits and, you know, vaccinations and stuff. Um, but just seeing what it's doing to high school football has just been, um, I wouldn't call it devastating, but it's been really you know, kind of hard to watch sometimes because you're seeing games getting scheduled within like hours of each other because, you know, Wednesday night, like tonight, or you know, even tomorrow morning, these schools are finding out that they don't have enough kids to play. And, uh, you know, if that happens at the, the collegiate level this year, well, somebody's going to get a win and somebody's going to get a loss. So just seeing the, 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 the difference, because, you know, my mindset right now is like, oh, man, this is terrible for the kids. But, you know, with the college level, which is why it's so much different, it's, you know, I hope, I hope those guys are vaccinated so that, you know, they're able to play so they don't have to you know, deal with the, the, um, the different you know, social distancing and all of the different measures that the conferences are taking. Yeah. It's just such a different animal. And the thing too, with high school is like, if you think about um, like your starting center on offense in high school, the guy behind him might be 214 pounds and a freshman, like at a high school in a college you have, you know, if you're running a decent program, a three deep, that's going to be pretty solid. And if you have to dip into your backups, it's, the, the jump should not be so steep. Um, where in like a high school, if you have four guys out, we were talking about a school before the start of that has like four starters out and some other kids. And it's like, 
they might just be boned like with whoever they play, like, cause it depends on who those four guys are. The next guy up might be a true freshman that's never played or like, you know, some guy who's like, you know, parents give a lot of money to the touchdown club or, or whatever, you know I mean? Like there's all yeah. sorts of scrubby dudes on like a high school team um, that, you know, are not on the, 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 the disparity between, the guys who start or maybe your first 30 guys in a high school team. And then the next 30 is pretty dramatic. Um, it'd be like if the NFL just started playing with all their practice squad guys in a game, like, yeah, you know, it's just a huge leap. Whereas in college, I think it's a little more even keel as long as you're still with scholarship guys. Um, so yeah, it just sucks. And, and, you know, there's a lot of stupidity, um, from people about how they've approached this stuff and people not getting the message out correctly to, to, to their guys and what they need to do to be ready to be safe. And yeah. Um, yeah. And everyone has opinions about this stuff, whatever yours is, uh, you know, good for you, but that, you know, people need to be smart and, and protect themselves and protect and these kids need to protect themselves and not, and, and the coaches need to be communicating that to the kids. I mean, how many, you know, I've seen what three or four high school coaches, you know, that are in our orbit that have died, you know, from COVID and yeah, it, it's tough, man. And there was a, a guy who was a GA at one of the schools I covered that died. Um, he had just got his first real big shot. His offensive line coach of Western Carolina died the other day. It was like 32, I think. I mean, yeah. It, you know, this is serious times and, and not to get on a bummer note, but like um, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on in high school because it's so much harder to the just resources aren't the same as a college. It's just a totally different animal. And um, like I said, it's just such a difference too when you start pulling guys out of there and I'm going through it. I have a middle school right now that we're going through all sorts of stuff with just kind of watching what's going on there. And that's not even athletics related. That's just from uh, straight up, like what's going on in the classroom. So um, it, it's going to be a really shitty high school season for a lot of people. And, and that sucks, but um, they're going to try to play and figure it out. And I think um, hopefully they can get an idea of what they need to be doing or whatever to make it safer for the kids, whether, you know, whatever that is, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not an infectious disease expert. I'm not, I know what I'm comfortable with. Russell's comfortable with what he's comfortable with, with his family and, and whoever's listening is comfortable with their families, but it, it sucks. Like, and we're all exhausted from this and tired of it. And it just sucks for these kids, man. Cause like, if you're a, a recruit and you catch COVID and have a bad reaction to it, it could blow up your whole senior season, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And, there was a, a commit last year who what did he lose 25 pounds. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah, there's stories like that. There's guys that just won't ever get on the radar, maybe because they can't get cleared to play. Um, you know, the story that I found really interesting was the one that um, Andrew Thacker told this week about Akaya Scott, the D tackle transfer from South Carolina. He missed his entire season. He might have played a little bit at South Carolina as a true freshman, but he was in COVID protocols from contact tracing three different times, each time for like a couple of weeks where he was just locked down. So he basically didn't get to practice, didn't get any development, basically just burned a whole year of his life 
uh, or I guess it was six months he was there, basically barely practicing, barely getting a lift, workout or anything um, before he came to Georgia Tech. So uh, it, this is tricky for, for everyone and it sucks, but, you know, it's the new reality of what we're dealing with in the short term and um, hopefully, hopefully in the short term. And, you know, it, it's going to be interesting because, you know, Russell and I are both looking at traveling and what we're going to do. And it's a little bit of a roll of dice there too. Like, do we hop on planes to go see kids not knowing if they're going to play a game or not? Like that's like, right. do we book it later? Do we just go to stuff we can drive to? Like, there's a lot to think about and all of that too. And hopefully things will get a little more clear as the season goes along, but um, you know, uh, it's not, not ideal um, to say the least, not an ideal start. And then you had all the shitty weather for the Corky Kell uh, classic this past weekend. How many of those games were like an hour late that they played or more? Oh gosh. The, um, the Johns Creek game it just kept getting delayed kept getting delayed kept getting delayed and then they finally were just like you know the score's 26 to 10 we're just gonna call it (laughs) my my buddy was telling me about a game um he was covering and and the carolinas and uh it was up in raleigh and it was a team from charlotte was playing and uh the game ended at like 12 45 a.m or something like that because it had been oh delayed over and over again because yeah. of weather. The kids got home at 4.30 in the morning. Um, like, I mean, that's pretty bad. Like, And, yeah, yeah, I mean, we went through that, like, in high school and stuff. Like, there were some games. If you were playing down in South Georgia or something, you might be. But you knew that going into it. It was going to be a long night, right? Like, if you were going to Valdosta from, like, where I grew up Athens, that's a long, long bus ride, especially in a bus, not flying driving through the woods at night with deer and stuff. Um, But yeah, the, the, the the weather was not kind. They really missed the Mercedes Benz with the uh, Corky Hell games. Um, Yeah. Especially the the first couple of days. I mean, it was. Yeah. Like Wednesday and Thursday and stuff they were playing. They were just all brutal. Yeah. But um, I think Saturday, I think went about as well as the, the Corky Kell people, like people involved in the the tournament and everything, you know, being in the Benz. Played played out really well, and I mean they had some some really good teams and really big performances. Yeah, it's and speaking of that, <laughs> there was a kid that you were tracking at all of this that um, got some good news from Georgia Tech on Wednesday. Yes, the uh, 2022 and receiver uh, Caleb Webb, who uh, scored was able to score four touchdowns in the the, the season opener. And really, I mean, this, the, he was the star of the show. I mean, you know, going into it, a lot of people were talking about his quarterback, Bryce Archie, and a lot of people were kind of overlooking the game, if we're being honest, um, given the, the talent on the field and the, the other games on the schedule. Uh, but he was, he was impressive. You know, he has a really strong frame, um, taller than you know, the other wide receivers who are, are currently committed. And then there's just showcased his ball skills time and time and and time again, um, you know, on the field. And then he also was able to to show off some speed when he was able to return a, a kickoff. I think it was 86 yards. 
I'll have to, to double check, but I mean, he was impressive all around, you know, he dominated the game and, you know, if it's, if Archie's going to be doing that, you know, all season, you know, being able to, to target Webb and, and be able to make the plays in that manner. Um, I highly doubt he, he signed somewhere as a 5.2 rivals rating. And uh, currently East Carolina commit to the, to the pirates in Greenville. Um, yes. North Carolina, yes. but we'll see, you know, again, that's another one of those interesting things like kids like that. So this is something Russell and I have talked about a lot too. Like there's a lot of kids that just are not on radars yet that are going to pop up like this. Um, maybe they didn't do the camp circuit or maybe they did and, you know, were B less guys. So they didn't get offers. So it did there tends to be the world of recruiting is a very copycat business, right? Like, so if Georgia tech offers Caleb Webb, there's a high likelihood that about 15 other schools are going to follow suit if they're also looking for a big wide receiver. Right. Yes. And so when one of the problems that a lot of these kids run into is schools being skittish about jumping in the boat too early, like, do I want to be the guy that offers him? And so Eastern Carolina, you know, they run that East Carolina, they run that my Eastern East Carolina, they roll the dice down for the kid and get jump on him early and, it works out well for them for a time and they may get picked off here by a bigger school. And, you know, oh, that's, that's the, the big is, rub. Might is a nice way to put that Kelly. I think, I think you know, that, and that's the tough thing too, but as Russell and I keep telling everybody, everybody, especially on jackets online, it's like, you know, like with the quarterback, we'll segue into this quarterback recruiting thing now there were a lot of quarterbacks like we're at uh, I was at the Georgia Tech quarterback camp there were a lot of kids that I saw there that should have more offers than they do like um they might get recruited now there's guys they're already targeting that just couldn't get on campus because of whatever over the summer um there's kids they just haven't seen in person because it's too they live too far away or whatever and there's always going to be some dude that rises um up out of out of nowhere that maybe transferred somewhere was sitting on the bench behind somebody. Um, there's just always that story, right? Who is the guy that was a quarterback at Florida that never started a game in high school? Cause he was behind. Was it Jeff Driscoll? Um, uh, I feel like his story he... was he never started. Like, I forget what, I think it was Jeff Driscoll never started a game in high school. Cause he was like behind somebody like really good. It was a Gators quarterback. I remember that. Um, was a leak? Uh, maybe no. It wasn't Jeff Driscoll. My who was it? Was um, it Chris Leak? That's my guess. Chris. Well, Chris Leak sat behind Tim Tebow at one point. Or, yeah. I'm sorry. Tim Tebow sat behind Chris Leak. Right. Florida, I believe. Now we're really testing the edges of our memory. Is uh, like my Florida Gator quarterback knowledge is not exactly. Uh, Super strong. Who am I thinking of? Um, I want a lot of money playing NCAA football with that team. Damn. Oh, Kyle. That was Kyle Trask's story, wasn't he? He was behind Derek King. That's. I was thinking too far um, back. It was Kyle Trask. He was behind Derek gotcha. King in high school in Texas. Um, he he he. He was just a backup, and um, you know, to a guy who was really talented and. You know, he was a six foot five, 240 pound quarterback. It was not going to go play wide receiver or something, get on the field. Yeah. 
Um, and then he came in and was sort of the afterthought behind Felipe Franks. And then he ends up being the guy for them um, for a while. So, you know, you just, to me, like you never know what's going to happen with, with recruiting. You don't know, like, and the ultimate example of it is literally the guy who's starting right now for Georgia tech, Jeff Sims, who was committed to Florida state. They fire Willie Taggart. They bring in Mike Norvell for whatever reason, they don't click. And he wants to look at other schools. Georgia Tech jumps in and is like, hey, we like Jeff Sims. He's an interesting guy. Like, you know, at worst, maybe we turn him into something else. Like, maybe he's not yeah. a quarterback. And I think that was literally the thought process. They were really into Tucker Gleason, who was their first quarterback commit, first real quarterback commit they took. And yeah. then Jeff comes in, works his ass off, beats out Tuck, beats out everyone else in the room and wins the job game one yep you know history could repeat itself in many different ways here and the thing too is jeff jordan yates Jaden peary are all in the same class technically now <laughs> as, as freshmen um they didn't none of them have moved beyond that because yates didn't play over his four, four games in 19 um so he's a redshirt freshman jeff sims is technically a true freshman Chaden Perry is technically a true freshman. Trad Beatty's the only guy who's an upperclassman in the room. So wow. that, that's on a, on scholarship. Um, yeah. You know, that's a weird situation to be in recruiting-wise as well. And I, I assume that, you know, just not for nothing, but there would probably be attrition in that room just based on history. And Jordan Yates is probably close to graduating, you know. Yeah. And, and just quarterbacks tend to move around if they're not starting. So. I think if Jeff, you know, continues to be the guy and is very solid, then, you know, I don't know that a lot of guys want to go sit for four years behind that. So, um, and that's sort of a, a little bit of a rub in recruiting. You got to find a guy who's cool with, you know, waiting, waiting a year or two for their turn um, at the reins. And that takes a certain type of personality too. So it, it's a tough situation um, in some ways, just because of that, you know, you got a little, little bit of slow start by not being able to see kids in person you know i think if aj swan had been they had seen him in december or november or whatever gone out and seen him as a junior they jump in early and beat maryland on him you know there's just a lot of weird things that went on with this quarterback cycle i I know you have a lot of uh thoughts about that (laughs) Yeah, it, uh, that's, a, that's a nice way to put it. There's a, a lot lot in the background going on. Um, I think the post-National Signing Day war room may be the most read piece in the history of uh, Jackets Online, <laughs> at least for uh, in the past you know, several years since Jeff Collins got here because uh, there's just a lot of um, just a lot of different situations and they all just seem to, to, to play out and and one way the worst way I mean, possible for Georgia Tech, basically. Yeah, I mean the the, the Tevin Carter situation was fascinating. Like I have I have I don't know six or seven minutes worth of quotes from him on his commitment to Georgia Tech, <laughs> just sitting in my phone. Well, and, we had a story um, written in our admin. You know, that's the yeah. story there. Like we exactly had the story, like ready to go. And I remember I just kept telling, kept I kept texting you, like, "This is weird. Why doesn't he like announce his commitment?" And you're like, "I don't know." 
it turns yeah. out there was something going on in the background um that made him make a different decision so it has definitely been bizarre and again the other thing i point out too like if the one thing i'll say will change the dynamic this class they're doing pretty well at 31 or whatever right now overall with just 15 commits the thing that changes this recruiting class one way or the other will be if they win yeah because if they win find the class if they win they'll get some big names here at the end the second part of that is there'll be some guys who leave too to go that should be able to go pro or whatever that will open up some room because they also have a cap room issue with scholarships right now, which is sort of the bigger overriding issue for them. Um, they just don't have a lot of scholarships to play with left. Uh, you know, I, I would think five more would be about as high as they could go right now without really pushing it on in terms of assuming attrition. And, um, and, you know, they have some guys lined up, but that's not necessarily going to be enough to move the knee beetle where where coach collins wants it to go so that's that's the really interesting thing thing to me too is if they win i russell and i know probably about three or four kids that i think would end up at georgia tech if they win and some have more uh notable last names than others yeah yeah i mean there's some some pretty cool names out there that would be that are just kind of waiting to see this this staff prove themselves, and it's hard because they won three and three, like, and so that's you know that's what yeah, they even did. if you would have went three and four or mm-hmm. three showed and, progress, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what um that's what needed to happen, but it, to a lot of people, they just haven't seen the like you said the progress, and then just the I guess the what Coach Collins football is going to be in terms of you know the winning games how does he handle winning you know can he win more than one game in a row like more than two games in <laughs> that, a row. that is an amazing thing to think about like you know this that's so weird for me because i've covered every program i've covered in my career doing this for 20 years now um was a consistent winner like i didn't i think 2015 was the first time i covered a team that didn't go to a bowl game like that was almost 15 years in like, you know, and, and tech had two kind of weird seasons. One of which they should have gone to a bowl game. They just sort of got screwed. Uh, And then the 2015 season, which was just a weird anomaly where a bunch of guys got hurt, but, you know, um, other than that, they were very consistent going to bowls and stuff. And then you have this sort of reset and you, you lose it to the Citadel and, have a lot of these ugly games and then you lose like they had basically like a citadel level loss at syracuse that was a really bad team that they lost to last year and the, those are the things they can't you can't lose to northern illinois you got to win the first two games of the season you got to beat northern illinois and kennesaw state and yeah, if they have to they yeah uh, that's a, that's yeah that's a given absolutely and if they don't <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to have the opposite problem where you're going to have trouble holding on to the, the Jaron Willis's and the, you know, like the people are going to come out of the woodwork trying to get these kids and flip them. They would yeah. If, if that were to happen, they would, they'd probably, I mean, not like it, it wouldn't be instant or anything, but they would end up losing probably between five and eight of their commits. 
Yeah, I mean, it would if just they, be if hard they to lose sell. either one of those games. Yeah, because at that point, you know, you're you're selling hype more than you're selling anything else. And and there's there's other programs who are, are like really, 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 really selling hype. You know, trying to bring bring back the the brand and you know put the U and you know all that stuff. There's there's so much of that going on around the country, uh, but until you actually prove it, you know, losing those kind of games like. The, the the game that comes to my mind is when Miami played FIU at my at the Marlin Stadium and lost. Yes, there were so many local kids at that game who were like, "What what are you selling us?" You know what I mean? Like that was when uh, that's why, in my opinion, I think Miami struggles so much recruiting locally right now. Like that, I think that was part of the reason why they lost Alton Tarber among other things, but just the the lack of momentum that that program has in the area, like in their backyard, they're struggling. And, but despite Collins and his, you know, you said his back-to-back, you know, below, below average seasons, he's still been able to, to maintain the recruiting momentum, especially locally, um, you know, landing, you know, talented kids at, at many different high schools, like, you know, at first, everybody made jokes about Grayson Tech and, and all of that kind of stuff and how it was really going to you know, define everything. Um, but so far in this 2022 cycle, you know, now that Griffin Scroggs has gone on his way to UGA, um, there, there hasn't been, there isn't anybody from Grayson, um, but they've got kids from Westlake. They've got a kid from Archer. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're doing things at schools to where, uh, you know, they have momentum in that area. Where if they are able to to win games, you may be able to go into Kelly's backyard and say, "Hey, I know you're committed somewhere, but but we're we're who we are. You see who we are." Yeah, I mean it's interesting, and you know you bring up the Westlake thing. You look at the three, three of the four guys they've you know two they signed and two they have committed right now. Three of those guys are impact like impact level guys. You know, Horse Lockett, the tackle they have committed right now. Uh, you know, Leo Blackburn, who we talked about at the top of the show, and Ja'Kai Leftwich, who we talked about earlier as well. So, like, you know, that's that's meaningful, right? Like, and, and the Grayson things, um, you know, it's sort of been up and down there a little bit. And um, I, I'm not a big fan of, like, yeah, you don't need to have just a pipeline into one high school. You don't need to be Buford, right. Buford heavy or – GAC heavy or whatever the school is, you pick it like what even Westlake, you don't want to sign like four Westlake kids that just irritates other high school coaches too. Yeah. Um, exactly. There's gotta be some balance, right? Like, and I think they'll get a kid from Grayson in the next cycle, actually. But um, you know, like it's not bad to to maybe take a break there for a second and let Mumu and and Griffin Scroggs go over they want to go and uh, do their own things and you know so be it like you don't need to win every battle you need to win the right battles and I think they've done a good job in the cycle really other than the quarterback recruiting of, of getting the kids that they want to get um, for the most part you know the one sort of glaring guy that I, I you know that I think also um, I'll be watching this fall if they win is is Flip Carswell um, you know and what he does and, and can Brent key uh, rekindle that and get that kid. Cause he really wanted him. And, you know, that's another kid who I think could be impressed if, if Miami 
does poorly Oregon moves on and Georgia Tech sitting there and has a decent season, you know, well, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I'm rethinking this, this whole Miami thing. And Miami's got a, a real chance to kind of fall on their face early too. Their first three games are, are no joke. They play um, Alabama to open the season in the bends. Yeah. They play app state. Who's always a tough, like one of the tougher G five teams. And then they play Sparty in the Hard Rock, Michigan State, um, who have a good defense and and are well coached. Like and loaded with transfers, they added. Goodness gracious! You thought Georgia Tech added a lot of transfers. I think Michigan could field Michigan State could field a whole roster with them. They added so many. And I know they, they got a f- former Auburn running back. They yeah, they added a ton. And they still have they have to play at North Carolina during the season. Uh, Georgia Tech, who beat them in their house two years ago with really not a very good Georgia Tech team, uh, came in and embarrassed them in their own stadium. And then they got to go to the Doke, where they've struggled a lot, too. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting season. Um, I'm, you know, in that optimistic of has been saying five, seven wins. I think if you get to that six, that's the magic number. Get, go bowling, show that progress, double your win total changes things in recruiting for Georgia Tech, in my opinion. No, I think uh, I think I would agree with that. I think that's uh, – I wouldn't call it a fact, but I would <laughs> call it a uh, a very strong and likely accurate prediction if they do win six. Because I think at that point, you know, you they may actually – they may actually lose to gain um, some of the uh, – at least one of the commits they have. Yeah, I think there's some trimming that could go on uh, with one or two kids that, if needed, um, then leave it at that. Um, yeah, one other thing before we wrap up here, uh, you know, we're getting into an interesting time too, Russell, where this will be the first time since January of 2020 coaches can go on the road um, starting here in a couple of weeks. And then also the first time since the 2019 season where kids have been able to go visit, watch a game. Uh, as an official visitor, just going and checking out, sitting on the sideline before the game, looking at stuff. I'll be curious to see what the – I'm wondering if the protocols are going to be a little bit different with some of that stuff. But um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see who shows up, uh, you know, where these coaches go when they can finally go on the road for the first time. I imagine if you're Jeff, you're just going to send everybody out to the local schools first, hit all of those up, and then go out to where your commits are. Uh, out of state down in you know, New Jersey and Florida and uh, Texas and, and start paying those kids visits. But I think you got to start inside and work your way out. And that'll be a really interesting thing to kind of track as they start, you know, that starts up as well. Yeah. I'm sure these, uh, these coaches have been you know, waiting and counting down the days to be able to actually see kids. Um, I think that was, one reason why there was a little bit of, I wouldn't call it hesitancy to offer Caleb Webb, but I know there was a lot of, um, from the McEachern side, I've been told that, you know, they, they thought Georgia Tech was going to wait until they could see him in person, you know, verify his weight, verify his height, and, you know, see him with their own two eyes rather than just seeing what's on film. Um, but there, there came a point with, you know, Caleb's talent level and his, his offer list growing, uh, you know, he added, Tulane, Vanderbilt, and Virginia. 
all, all schools that, you know, hypothetically Georgia Tech should be able to beat for a, a Georgia kid. Um, but, you know, just that kind of stuff. I think that's a great example of what you're going to see um, the rest of the 2022 cycle and even going into 23 a little bit in terms of you know, new offers going out. You know, they're evaluating kids every day who are, you know, started their season last week or are starting their season this week. And based on those performances and compared to other performances, maybe last year or in, in camp season, if they came in camp to Georgia Tech, you know, a lot of kids may quickly have enough rapport there to, to get that offer from them. And I, I think that you're going to see that continue, um, especially when, you know, the staff, especially Pat, when he's able to get on the road and, you know, to, to watch quarterbacks. Um, there's a, a lot of quarterbacks in the state of Georgia who, you know, are either you know, a little bit undersized or have just been really under-recruited due to, to other factors. But, you know, being able to, to see them in person and actually evaluate them, I think that was why um, Pat Node was so invested in, in Shaden Peary early on is what it seems, because he was actually able to watch him throw. Uh, he saw him before everything went crazy, was able to see him throw with his own two eyes and believed what he saw. Um, you know, there, were, there were other quarterbacks who ended up elsewhere, um, but just having that added layer of evaluation is such a big deal to college coaches. Um, and then at the same time, some of these kids who have been, you know, either, you know, ha haven't had their height and weight updated on rivals for, for months or even years in some, some cases, depending on what part of the country they're in. Or it's like it. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're going to see situations where, college coaches are going to walk go to a game and be like who is that yep because there, there's going to be such a, a a big difference i mean that thing that goes on with pre-covid that would happen all the time like yeah there would be these kids that would just emerge out of like nowhere and you know um and some would they would end up at bama or georgia or georgia tech or wherever like just these like last minute kind of watching you know like the you know, um, I'm trying to think of there was one really famous one with Paul Johnson where he was just like watching, he was literally just watching on TV the state playoffs, and like saw a kid and was like, oh, I, I want that kid. Um, might have been Zach Lasky, um, but you know, anyways, like that happens. Those are real stories. Like guys get real offers off of that stuff sometimes. Like. Nick Saban's watching high school football on TV, you know, like, yeah, th those are legit things that happen. And all these staffs have a ton of bodies working in them, trying to find everything they can. And it's hard, man. When you watch huddle, you watch huddle and watch huddle and you watch huddle. It's hard to, for things to pop. Like um, I know when coach buddy, coaching buddies of mine, like when they're hiring their support staff or recruiting offices, one of the things they go through is they like kind of test them on, showing them different huddles of kids where kids are doing well, but there's some context to it, like context clues, like who are they going against? You know, like how big is the kid actually relative to the size of the field? Like, yeah, uh, just stuff like that. And it's hard. It's, it takes a trained eye to like, just look at film and be like, Hey, you know, this is great. This is not great. Um, and 
there's a lot of kids just fall through the cracks. There's coaches suck at putting film out or whatever. Or don't I mean, put it out. Yeah. Or, yeah. Don't put or, it out or, or password yeah. protect it. Yeah. Like, or don't send it to the right people. Cause they're trying to steer a kid to certain schools. Like, you know, like maybe they want their kid at Auburn, but you know, they're not sending their tape to UAB cause they want him to walk on at Auburn. You know, there's stuff like yeah. that that goes on, man, all the time. And, uh, that's why you got to get out and see kids and, and hit up as many schools. And I'm sure knowing Jeff Collins, they will be hitting as many schools as humanly possible in the allotted time they're allowed on the road. Um, <laughs> like yes. it, it's going to be really entertaining to kind of see uh, what they're up to when they can go out on the road. Cause I guarantee you, they're going to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially probably that first night um, in Atlanta imagine they'll be at some uh some games that involve some commits for sure um probably uh, a game involving westlake um, a game involving langston hughes i mean there's there's numerous ones archer i mean there's uh john's creek i mean they're they'll be all over the area but it, it won't just be because knowing Collins and the way that he's done things from, from what I've, I've heard from other people is that um, he's got the coaches, they're going to, to, to one game. And then, you know, if possible, they're able to, you know, kind of manage their time in a way where they can go to more than one school in a day. Yeah. I mean, they'll go watch, go to a bunch of schools that morning, you know, yeah. and then go to oh, yeah, they do that maybe sure, watch yeah. a half a game here and a half a game there if they can swing yes. it. Yeah, um, that's you know, the thing. That's why they, they plan that. They've probably been planning that for months, I would think. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be wild in these streets, man, when these coaches get out on the road. They're like, yeah, they're not gonna know act. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's just funny, man. Like, to give you an idea of like how crazy things are, I've had some coaches, and these are not Georgia Tech coaches, so they're just buddies of mine that, like, you know, I've been at all these camps and stuff. They'll, I'll get a text from somebody like was so-and-so really this tall you know like because they don't know man like if they haven't had the kid on campus they have no way of really fact checking that stuff anymore so unless we right. had them in a camp or someone you know one of the other camp services had them in a camp there's no real legit and you know it's like your driver's license man when these kids put their huddles up it's like yeah you know suddenly they're two inches taller and and you know 20 pounds heavier or lighter like you know like one of us might lie on our driver's license about our weight you know they're lying about how much they do weigh like you know yeah. 140 pound kids like oh i'm 175 yeah. you know what i mean like there's just wow. a lot of that man like you got to sift through that stuff and it's something we we uh we got to deal with and and yeah, mississippi state the corner they signed last year emmanuel forbes who is, um, I think he actually made all SEC and like all kinds of stuff. He was 130 pounds as a junior in high school. Yeah. I mean, like I remember watching him and I was like, how are you going to play in college? And he was able to put on the weight. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's what I call, that's a Miami fit kid. You get down to Miami, man. These kids are like, you'll see like a, a six foot four, 150 pound receiver. And you're like, what the hell? Like, but it's just, they don't have like, 
you know, access to food and strength and conditioning and all that stuff. And a lot of them are yeah. from families who don't have much money. So like they're right, you know, struggling and they get in that weight program and they balloon up. Um, yeah. turn into players and that's you know that's sort of the back of the miami football program to be honest for for many years was built on those kids like they just blew them up once they got there but yeah that's that's that's, that's uh not surprising i mean they did that at georgia tech with um shoot what was his name uh there's a kid on the team right now that they did that with uh was it keenan john it was keenan johnson it was um dang it's gonna drive me crazy um there's a skill guy and he oh, it was jalen huff jalen huff weighed like 145 pounds or something like that man like and like it was no joke like i saw him i was like damn that kid's thin like you know and then they get him in and uh let's see where's jalen huff what's he up to now um they got him at 189, and to be honest, he looks like he's probably about 189. But I swear to God, I saw that kid, and I was like, oh, "Is he a track guy? Like, is he running track and walking on the football?" Like, it was just like he was so thin. Um, but you know, they put the they got they put like probably 55 pounds on the kid. Like, that's a good one. I should ask. Uh, coach Lou or one of them about like where he started and where he is now. Cause I just remember uh, coach Collins talking about it. So I was like, yeah, I was like, Jill Huff's really thin. He's like, yeah, we got to put some weight on him. And then, I mean, I think he was 145 pounds, dude. I, I like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they put 40 plus pounds on that kid. He's playing yeah, safety. Now. That should tell you like how much bigger he is. He was, yeah. he was a guy who looked like a pencil, like playing corner. He's safety size now. You can see in the pictures I put up, man. He's a big kid now. So yeah, he is. He seems like be a lot more of a, a prototypical size for a DB. Yeah, it's a you know, but that goes to show you too. You got to project all of those things. Like they saw his body frame, they're like, okay, he can put weight on and keep his speed, and they figured out how to do it. So good for them. Right. Well, Russell, it's late as hell for you. So, um, uh, kind of late for me too. It's been a long week, uh, but we wanted to give you guys a podcast. We're going to try to get back into the habit of recording at least once a week. Um, and, uh, there was a lot to talk about. We didn't even get to Jalen Marshall or Jordan Yates NIL deal with the Braves that Russell's so excited about. And, um, Russell probably could just buy some tickets and give them away. So, so Jordan Yates can, beat uh is he going against the uga girl or something is that what it is he actually is yeah they signed i think they did that to kind of please both parties sure if i had to guess uh but they signed a i think a georgia gymnastics girl okay and then uh jordan which i think it's interesting on both sides you know i mean number one the, the gymnastics girl in terms of you know giving her a chance to kind of i don't know i don't know anything about her honestly i don't know if she's like local like from atlanta or what but obviously jordan is and then you know his role is the i would think backup quarterback um and then but also his role you know as one of the leaders on the team being able to to still have that opportunity uh, i know there was a lot of discussion on the the message board about really how much um good the the nil partnership between Yates and the Braves can be for for either party 
Sure. Uh, I think I think I think it's more of a uh, a long term play. That's uh, an for, for both parties. It's a good it name out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but if it works, I mean, they're going to do it with somebody else after he's after he's done, whether he you know finishes career at Georgia Tech and then graduates or you know whatever happens there, um, and then you know, they'll, they'll find someone else to do it if it goes well, and then if down the road you know Yates is looking for a job and he's qualified and he's going up against somebody else who's qualified, you you have to uh, you have to bet that that NIL partnership and those relationships, whether it be, you know, with the Braves or with another, you know, professional sports organization, they're going to look at that. And, and especially if it was successful. Yeah. I think it's, it's not a bad thing. It's just um, different than maybe what uh, I think people are expecting more than they probably should with a lot of these NIL deals. And I think it's still all very much in, in the process of being figured out, man. Like, yeah. Especially with, you know, some of the schools are, Know, getting so many promises from from different you know areas and different businesses uh, the the one thing you don't want to see happen is you know these these places promise these kids this this partnership this deal this money these cars these clothes these shoes whatever and then not follow up not follow through on it and then because that makes everybody in the the whole situation look bad that makes them that upsets the players because obviously they're being lied to and promises are being broken promises are broken in the sec every day but, <laughs> and then at the same time you've got the the businesses looking bad for not keeping their word and then you've got the colleges looking bad for the businesses not keeping their word but trusting the business in the first place sure and it's tough just because um a lot of these guys are doing this with their hearts and and trying to do probably more than they can you know in their head uh, yeah. and more than their head would let them um you know that's that's tough and it's hard to get bang for your buck on on a kid making an instagram post or whatever like i just don't know what you get out of that long term um unlike advertising a jackets online where you get eyeballs literally every day and and there's tons of them that aren't even subscribers that literally just click on our pages to kind of surf the titles of threads and you know they're trying to glean whatever information they can off of whatever context clues they can find through the site and reading all the free articles so uh, jackets online great uh, advertising business um tons of eyeballs affluent people um the uh instagram posts i don't know man i have a hard time envisioning um you know somebody really getting worked up about you posting about your their underwear on your instagram but I hope these kids are at least getting some free underwear and some free little bit of money and whatever. Cause every little right. bit helps, man. Like I was watching, I was down at Georgia tech on Wednesday morning and the parking service was out putting boots on cars out in the yellow jacket alley. And I was like, Oh man, there's almost always like a football player, or a basketball player, somebody that's one of the ones getting a boot. Cause they got like 20 tickets. You know, the, uh, that's a joke with Sam Howell, the North Carolina quarterback he has like over a thousand dollars in tickets with the north carolina parking services uh unc which oh i think is pretty funny it's sort of i'm sort of wondering how he hasn't been towed at this point but um uh you know maybe that's just how they roll in chapel hill i don't know i'll bear that in mind if i ever park illegally i'll bring up and uh at chapel hill i'll bring up sam Howell not getting booted that's right 
but uh on that bizarre note i think we'll wrap this up and let russell pass out and uh, i'll cut this up and uh, you'll be probably listening to this in the morning or tomorrow afternoon or your ride home but it's been the jackets online podcast we'll be back more often and uh, thanks for listening and if you're not a subscriber check us out a lot of cool things about to happen in the month of september on jackets online uh, it's great time to subscribe